This is Transfiguration Sunday, so get ready to hear what that word means from Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain. They were all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. The Greek, it's metamorphos. He clothed, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, uh, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. Uh, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer, no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let's continue in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this text. Lord, be our teacher today, and I pray these words would not be my words, but they may be your words. And as we continue in our worship, sung so beautifully, prayed so beautifully, we pray now that your spirit would draw us into your beautiful heart, Lord. Through Christ, we ask this. Amen. Well, our passage today is on a mountain. You like the mountains? I love the mountains. Jill and I, uh, my wife Jill and I honeymooned in the Sierras. Anyone been to Mammoth Lakes? Oh, yeah, it's so good. We have many memories on Mount Rainier. What a place. What a gift that place is, huh? One of my favorite pictures, I have it in my office. It's of Jill's dear dad, Donovan, Papa A. Aylard. He lived with us for years. And back in Pennsylvania, we had him up to the Adirondacks one time. And he was coming down the mountain. He's got his hand raised like this, like a wave, triumphantly. Ah, the mountains, the mountains. The mountains are calling. Can we hear that? Mountains are great for clarity. Mountains are great for inspiration. Mountains are good for rest. Mm. Mountains are good for renewed vigor. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There's different theories about what this mountain is. I like the theory that it's Mount Hermon, which is a 9,200-foot high mountain northeast of Caesarea Philippi. It's... Uh, it's near Caesarea Philippi, northeast of the Sea of Galilee, kind of on the border of Lebanon and Syria now. I was at the Golan Heights coffee shop in 2017. Big mountains up there when I was in Israel. It is huge, and there's even, these are even snow-capped. This particular mountain range is even snow-capped uh, in winter months. So it's a real mountain, 9,000 foot. He takes them up. Peter, James, and John get singled out here Scholar R.A. Cole points out, which you may already know, that these three guys kind of were like Jesus's inner circle a little bit. They were the disciples, and there's a circle within the circle. And maybe because they had a particularly good track record of receiving what Jesus taught them. But it wasn't because these guys were perfect. These guys had their issues as well. Dr. Cole and others point out that in the very next chapter, James and John go from being 
on the mountaintop with Jesus to saying, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. They want status. So they go from being at the mountaintop to kind of asking an arrogant, selfish question. Peter himself, the third guy, would go on in chapter 14 of Mark to deny he even knew Jesus. Even so, these are the dudes that Jesus invests in. They're the guys he, he takes up the mountain. Even as we have our selfish motives, our issues, we're, can, we can be slow to learn, prone to rebel. Like Peter, James, and John, the God we know in Jesus Christ doesn't look at our sin and our lives and ourselves and say, go take a hike. No, he takes us on one. He says, come hike with me. Yeah, you, yeah, you. Come hike with me. Come on, guys. Let's go for a walk. <clears throat> what a picture of Jesus. It's no less true of you and me. They are us. The disciples are us. Jesus leads and takes us. You know, sometimes he'll take you to do something. That happens. He'll lead you to do something. Sometimes he'll just take you to be with him. Come and be with me. I wonder what it would look like for you and me. You notice how in the passage it says that Jesus led them up the mountain, right? Do you ever think of your day, like we often think of going to meet with Jesus, or do you ever think of saying, Jesus, where do you want to take me today? Not so much taking him along with us, but saying, Lord, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go be together? Imagine getting into your car and saying, Jesus, where would you like to take me? And then go with him. Where do you want to hang out, Jesus? Starbucks? Uh, Muckleshoot Beach? Where do you want to go? Maybe a mountaintop. Maybe Safeway. Maybe who knows? Sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll be to help a person, for sure, and people. Sometimes it'll just be to be with him. He just wants to be with you. Years ago, one such place where the Lord led me to go to be with him was to a seminary. This is after I graduated from seminary, but this is when I was a, a, a pastor in Pennsylvania. And I was led to take, well, I audited three seminary courses with a Scottish theologian named Andrew Purvis at Pittsburgh Seminary. I attended his courses in 2011, 2013, and 2015. I went to Scotland with him and his classmates too. And I would drive four and a half hours from the town I was in to Pittsburgh, sit in this three-hour class, and then drive four and a half hours back home. One of my elders, they, they, were, they were like, is he really doing this? Like, what, what's Matthew doing? They actually called Dr. Purvis. And, is this really happening? Because it was so bizarre. Like, why would somebody do this? Well, because, <laughs> because it is a chance to learn about Jesus. And Dr. Purvis took us into the depth of knowing who Jesus really is. He's a lot bigger than we can even imagine. He's even better than you think, even bigger than you think, even more powerful than you think. This is the transfiguration story. This is my story with Dr. Andrew Purvis. Pray for Dr. Andrew Purvis. I spoke to him this week. He had a, he had a, um, a, uh, a brain bleed uh, and uh, wound up in the hospital. Two brain surgeries and a third one to remove the, remove the plate and um, subdural hematoma. Woke up, couldn't move his legs. Dear Wonderful man of God. I hope to bring him here someday and have him preach and speak, but he's on the men now down in Fresno, retired. 
but pray for Andrew Purvis. He's a dear man. I had a great talk with him this week, but he's been through a lot. Andrew's classes were my mountaintop, one of them, right? A place where I got to know Jesus in a deep way. But as enthralling and powerful as that is, and if you've ever been in a mountaintop experience, you know that sticking with it, staying in it, remembering it, remembering who he is, being with him, and then you step away from it. And before you know it, you've you've lost your way or, or you're getting in your own way of really, really living into it. This is the path that we're on. I was stoked when I was there. It's still, he still inspires me to think of those classes and other ways in our lives where we're inspired by Jesus, but it can be hard to remain within that, to remember all that we have in Jesus. He was transfigured before them, the text says. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Again, this word uh, transfigured is metamorpho, metamorphosis, you know, means to change into another form. Here in our text, Jesus is clothed in white, dazzling colors. White's not a common color for how people dress in the Bible, as scholars point out. It means purity. Would you necessarily dress like that every day because you'd get dirty, right? But Jesus is, his ministers, his angels, the Lord, anytime when they would show up, when he's risen, it's white. Not only was it Jesus in white, but it was also Elijah and Moses with him there. Peter says, uh, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make a couple shelters. I love how the text says, he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Sometimes when you really encounter Jesus in a new way, he blows you away and it's, it can be a little scary, shake you up. New Testament scholar Femi Perkins summarizes this in a helpful way. She points out that the details in this story are very Old Testament. No particular Old Testament passage is quoted here, but the dazzling white clothing signals heavenly rather than earthly beings. The mountain, cloud, and divine voice all remind readers of God's appearance in Exodus. Jewish tradition held, Dr. Perpet says, that, that Moses, whose burial place is unknown, and Elijah, who was taken up in a chariot, did not die but were living in heaven. Other scholars point out that maybe their appearance here as Moses and Elijah, maybe Moses signifies the law of God in the Old Testament, maybe Elijah signifies the prophets. That's an interesting theory, it's debated. But they are flanking Jesus here. And Peter's response, let us make three dwellings. Well, Dr. Perkins points out, that's a little bit of a weird response. Since Moses and Elijah dwell with God in heaven, The building of dwellings on the mountain doesn't make a lot of sense, unless maybe he's thinking out of his own history with Judaism, maybe he's thinking of these booths they would make for a Jewish feast called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Or maybe he's thinking of trying to replicate the tent of meeting where Moses met with God. Either way, he's thinking out of just the Jewish cultural Israelite world he knows, which is understandable. Whatever's going on with Peter's noggin, we learn here He's consistent because Peter has a habit of impulsively trying to control situations. Right before this happens in the previous chapter, Jesus is telling his guys that he has to go and suffer and die and rise again. And Peter doesn't like that. Peter takes him aside. Text says he rebukes the Lord, who then, the Lord then rebukes Satan, not Peter. And then he teaches, the Lord teaches the crowd about how he's got to do this. He's got to suffer and die and rise again. Peter, 
then is consistent trying to direct things, control things, whether it's Jesus's mission or this moment. He tells Jesus, no, that's the wrong mission in the previous chapter. I don't like that. Here he's telling Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah, hey, I'll make a couple of booths. It's like that Billy Joel song, <laughs> leave a tender moment alone. Like Peter does not know how to leave a spiritual moment alone, right? Peter needs to leave it alone. Just shape yourself to it. Don't try to shape it. This isn't for you to shape. God's the shaper. Peter has a hard time with that. Maybe you can relate. Well, in the previous passage, Peter tries to take control and Jesus rebukes Satan, which is interesting. He doesn't rebuke Peter. He sees a bigger battle going on. In this passage, when Peter does this, the heavenly father intervenes. Verse seven, then a cloud appeared and covered them. That's very Old Testament. God would visit people on a pillar of cloud. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Our Christian faith is at its deepest core relational. There is, of course, God's relationship with us. But even deeper in the deep core, at the heart of our faith, lies the relationship between God the Father and God the Son in the Holy Spirit. This is my son whom I love. In his wonderful book, Delighting in the Trinity, theologian Michael Reeves declares, everything changes when it comes to the Father, Son, and Spirit. Here is a God who is not essentially lonely, but who has been loving for all eternity as the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. Who say God is love? We mean it. It's not an abstract idea in Christian faith. Jesus Christ, Dr. Eve says, is the one eternally loved by the Father. Creation is about the extension of that love outward so that it might be enjoyed by others. The fountain of love brimmed over. The Father so delighted in his Son that his love for him overflowed outward. This is the missional God flowing out of the Father love, Father and Son love connection. Jesus prays in John 17, Father, I want those you have given to me to be where, to be, uh, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. If you want to enter in an interreligious dialogue with people, and I hope we do more and more of that, our Buddhist friends, our Muslim friends, our Hindu friends, our Mormon friends, our agnostic friends, this is, this is deep core stuff. This is, this is what we have that no one else has. The Father and the Son and their love for each one, when they're in the Spirit. God is one, but God is three. Mind-blowing process, mind-blowing idea, but that's what we believed. Dr. Reeves puts it this way, the Father loved Jesus before the creation of the world. And the reason the Father sends him is so that the Father's love for him might be in others also. We are to receive 
the love the Father has for the Son. It's all about this relationship and this connection. Christianity is relational between us, between us and God, and the relationship that makes up the oneness of God, who is three but one, constituent of his relationships as Father-Son. That is why the Son goes out from the Father in both creation and salvation. So we get this transfiguration, this razzle-dazzle in spiritual pyrotechnics, white, bright, light colors, boom, bam, but then the voice says, my son whom I love. Our sovereign Lord is also a beloved son. Our sovereign is beloved, not raw, naked power, but the son beloved. The son comes out of a loving relationship between the father and, and himself in the spirit and into a relationship with us and then invites us into that relationship. His prayer in John 17, he prays, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us to be embraced in the triune embrace of God. Our God whose being is made up of relationships, God's being is constituted in his relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He moves, of course, relationally toward us. And this is what's happening in this moment, the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, boneheaded, thick-headed, lost as they are, arrogant, uh, uh, rebellious, controlling, misfits as they are, they get the trip up the mountain, 9,000 feet, come, yeah, get renewed, get a clue. I'm gonna show you this and invite you into this divine life. That's grace. That's God's priority. Even and especially when we're boneheaded, clueless, losing our way, getting our own way, no matter how clueless we are, no matter how displeased God has, no matter how many reasons God has to be displeased with us, he will never cease to be with us and for us Say, take a walk with me. I'll take you up on the mountain. Let's go. In the end of this remarkable moment, we read, these guys are still slow on the uptake. They still don't understand it all. I'm still learning. I'm a minister for 24 years and been in, worked in eight churches, both coasts. I've been a Christian since I was 16. I'm still learning. It's a process. Andrew Purvis's class, awesome, humbling. I'm still learning. Well, welcome. This, this is welcome, welcome. This is a learning community, walking community with the God who walks with us up the mountainside, is patient with us. These guys, these guys became the leaders. These guys, they were leaders in the early church, even though they were slow in the uptake. Psalm 62.2 is one of my favorite scripture verses. It says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, that rock, I love that because it's all about perspective. You know, the rock, let me help me to see, look around, get perspective. You get the rock, you know, physically, you know, literally. But we all know who the real rock is. Being lifted into Jesus means constantly having our understandings of, of him being renovated, renewed, restored, so we don't lose touch with what a big deal this is because in truth, it's even better news than you think. The disciples struggled with Jesus' identity and mission, so will we. We'll get in our own way like Peter. We won't always like the Lord's ways like Peter, but we struggle together. We're coming up on Lent, Lent is a season of turning towards sort of self-reflection. We're gonna do Ash Wednesday this week. 
People come out of all kinds of traditions. Some people may remember the ashes. Some people, that's totally new. Talk about Lenten fasting and all that. Maybe that you know about that, maybe you don't. It's, you know, these things are just tools, right? We don't, we don't believe we, we as when we take a Lenten fast or a, we do the ashes, we don't believe these actions like earn our status with God or by their own intrinsic spiritualness, they bring us closer to God. They're just venues for us. They're just paths for us to help take a walk with Jesus. To know we're ashes, we're a mess, to know how much we need Jesus. That's what the ashes essentially are about. Remember how much you need God's rescue. And then fasting, skipping something, stepping, you know, maybe moving something out of your life that's normally there, that then can become a space where in that hunger for that thing that you give up for a period of time, you spend time with the Lord. That's what that is. Now that's an elective, it's not required, but it can be helpful. If that helps, if that's helpful for you, you know? Whatever is helpful for you, a path, a reset, some new habits, the Lord wants to take you somewhere today and tomorrow and the next day. And it could be service and help, absolutely being with people, being for people, but it's also gonna just be with him. I'm gonna take you up on the mountain. He says, I'm gonna show you who I am. We don't need another transfiguration like this one. We've got this one, but this one is so big that learning about it and seeing him takes a lifetime. Well, that's what we do here. And we're renewed daily in this together. Lent can be part of that, if that helps for you, but so can a lot of other things. Where will Jesus invite you and me to walk with him this week? Lord, where do you want to take us? What mountaintops or valleys? Think of the Makotio Park here that becomes a valley. You can meet us anywhere and show us who you are. Office cubicles, kitchen tables, dinner tables, Starbucks, the checkout line, the car, Super Bowl parties today. Lord, where do you want to meet us? Where do you want to take us, Lord? Come Holy Spirit, let us pray. Lord, lead us today. Thank you for your transfiguration. Thank you, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for how much you love us, for your relentless grace in wanting us to know you deeply, that this is even better than we imagine. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Take us in to the love between the Father and the Son that we'll never be the same again. Amen.